You're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit kingscross.org. So let me get right into the message today that I think God has laid on my heart for this occasion. And uh, you'll find the scripture text in uh, Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 30 to 44. And this is the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. I don't plan to focus on that necessarily. I want to talk to you today about God's work. God's work. Doing God's work. Now I think from all that Chip said, one of the takeaways from what he said is, It's not about me, it's not about him, it's not about King's Cross, it's about the kingdom, right? And the kingdom is the work of God. In fact, the Bible says when Jesus was baptized, came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit came on him like a dove, and the Father spoke and said, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then it says, Jesus went about teaching and preaching, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And notice he didn't say anything about denominations. He didn't say anything about all the things that the religious crowd of his day or the religious crowd of our day were concerned about. He said the kingdom of God is at hand. And so because you are here today in this church, whether you're a member of it or not, you should have, if you don't already have, a concern about doing God's work. Uh, A church... It's not an event where you show up and spectate. It's not for people who are spectators. It's for people who are organically, spiritually a part of the body of Christ. And the real church activity is not what happens here on Sunday morning. The real church activity is what happens when you leave this place and you go to your house, your home, you go to school, you go to work, you interact in the neighborhood, whatever your daily activity is between the services here at this church to worship God, that's the work of the church. And that's where God intends to work. Amen? All right, so if you have your Bibles, you may want to look with me at this text. And I'll read it out loud, and uh, you can uh, follow along if you will. I'm using a translation called the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. Maybe a little different from what you have, but just follow with me if you will as I read it. Jesus had just sent out the 70, two by two, they've come back. And so this is what this is talking about when it says in verse 30, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place, but many saw them leaving and recognized them. And they ran on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples approached him and said, This place is deserted and it is already late. Send them away so they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. You give them something to eat. He responded. They said to him, Should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? He asked them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said, Five 
and two fish. So then he instructed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves. He kept giving them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Everyone ate and was satisfied. They picked up twelve baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were five thousand men. Amen. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are certainly impressed when we think about Jesus and see how he ministered to the crowds, how he miraculously fed so many with so little. And Lord, may our hearts be enriched, may our minds be filled with knowledge of how God is at work and how we can be a part of his work here on earth. In Jesus' name, amen. This parable, uh, miracle, I should say, is the only one of Jesus' miracles that's recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. A lot of things in Matthew, Mark, and Luke are not in John. Some of the things in John are not in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But for some reason, this particular miracle is in all. And one of the things we see from it, not just the fact that Jesus did a remarkable miracle, but we see with insight the pattern of how God works. Now, I don't bring to you something that's just totally unique. I mean, there was a guy we had down in Charleston years ago who decided he was going to be a preacher, and he was going to be unique or nothing. Turns out he was both. So we don't want to try to find everything that's just different from everybody else, but let's look at the pattern that God himself has set long ago. Now, if you have your sermon notes handy, I'll try to follow that along the way, and if you like to write things down, you can write those things down. But the first thing we need to see here is that God is at work, and God is always at work. Notice in your Bible, and you might want to underline this word or circle it somehow, the word compassion in verse 34. The Bible says when Jesus got out of the boat and looked around and saw all these people, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, you know, God is at work because he has compassion on the people he made. Do you have that kind of compassion for people? When you think about the people who live in this community, or even in the entire East Cooper area, or maybe even in the entire Charleston area, do you have any compassion for those people? You think about people who have all kinds of activities and have all kinds of things, have all kinds of pleasures and all kinds of events, but they don't have Jesus. You have compassion for those people who are living the best they can to find meaning, the best they can to have pleasure, to have joy, to have something to hang on to, but they never get there. Do you have compassion on those people? Do you want to see them come to the Savior? Do you have any kind of a desire to join with God in His work? Because God is always at work. Uh, let me share with you a verse of Scripture, if you don't mind. It's in uh, Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and bothered, burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus, in this passage, actually invites us to come with him and to take up his yoke. 
there were a group of men some time ago, uh, I think they were founded by one of the great, pure, uh, one of the great uh, leaders, uh, spiritual leaders of yesteryear, Elton Trueblood, and they called themselves the Yoke Fellows. And they were Yoke Fellows because they wanted to, to join with Jesus in the work. One of the things we learn from this passage is when you join Jesus in his work because he's always at work, God is always at work, the load is lifted because you join and you share his yoke. You don't have your own yoke. You're always yoked up with Jesus. And that makes all the difference in the world. You know, we can save ourselves and give ourselves to certain things and do it 110% and not have any fruit because we're doing it on our own power. And you know, uh, Chip, one of the things that I've probably told you before is uh, one of the first things uh, that made me recognize potential in Chip Robinson was uh, he'd been teaching a high school Sunday school class for some time, and I don't remember the occasion, I don't remember the reason, but for some reason we asked Chip if he would preach the sermon in one of the services at First Baptist back in those days. I think this is long before you were on staff. And uh, so Chip got up on that Sunday morning, it was in our uh, contemporary service, and he preached one of the best sermons I've ever heard to this day. And I thought to myself, my goodness, I'd like to preach that sermon. And we realized that God had given Chip the gift of preaching. And it wasn't just Chip. I mean, they don't teach accountants to do that stuff, do they? No, they don't teach accountants how to preach like that. And so we saw that God was at work in him, and God was working in him, and we wanted to join with God, and we saw this, that God was saying, this man is one of mine, and I want to use him for your glory. And you know what God says that about each of you? You're his. And he's in you. And he wants to use you. Because God is always working, and he's always inviting people to come and take up his yoke. Well, look again, if you will, in your sermon notes, because we want to go a little bit beyond that. Uh, and the Bible says in John 5, 17, this is a key verse. This, this is one of those you need to, you need to latch on to. Jesus said, my father is still working, and I am working also, John 5, 17. Now, this was the Sabbath day where Jesus had come to Jerusalem, and he went to that place where there is a pool, the pool of Siloam, and there were people sitting in all different places around that pool. There was a sort of a, a theory that every now and then an angel would come by and disturb the waters in that pool. And the first person who got in the pool after the waters were disturbed would have whatever ailed them healed. And so people were kind of lining up, being the first in the, trying to get to be the first in the pool so they'd get healed. Miraculously. Now, we don't know if this happened or not. That was just the theory. And so here was this man who had been lame for some time, all of his life. And Jesus looked to him and said, well, what are you doing here? And he said, well, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get in the pool, but I don't have anybody to help me get in the pool. And Jesus said, well, take up your mat and walk. Instantly, miraculously, Jesus healed this man. And so the Pharisees, those who were not happy, and they were suspicious of anybody who was happy about their relationship to God, and they're always trying to find some reason to take that happiness away, they came to Jesus and said, what right do you have to heal this man on the Sabbath? I mean, it's a Sabbath. You're not supposed to do things like that on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, look, my father is always at work. In other words, this is not just because I decided today I'm going to heal this man, but I have a mission. And part of that mission is to heal those that the Father is going to heal. 
I'm listening to what the Father says, trying to do what the Father instructs me to do, and today it has to do with healing this man. So God was at work on that Sabbath day healing a man. Even though Jesus was on retreat with his disciples, there's nothing wrong with taking a retreat. But in spite of that fact, he was at work noticing the compassion on those people. He is at work in those times when you're weary and you're tired. He was at work when he was weary and when he was tired. And now we see him on a Sabbath day when it's supposed to be a day of rest, isn't it? I won't ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you really get rest on a Sabbath? That was yesterday, by the way. Sabbath is Saturday. How many of you really get rest on Sunday? You know? And in spite of the rest... God was at work. And here's, here's one more thing. Even in spite of the difficulty or the tragedy or the horribleness of a circumstance, God is at work. This is that verse that we oftentimes look to that sometimes we, you know, don't do much with. It's Romans 8, 28. And the Bible teaches us that in all things, God works for good to those who love him who are called according to his circumstances. You know that verse if you've been around the church very long. That's the verse that we always use, Chip, and we can't explain things. <laughs> you know, you're at the hospital visiting with somebody, and the doctor just told them they have terminal cancer and there's no hope. And you don't know what to say. Well, you know, God works for good. Well, seriously, God does work for good, even in the death of his saints. Whatever life's purpose for you is, according to God does not mean that you will escape the normal trials, difficulties of this world. Christians get cancer, by the way. And sometimes Christians get in car wrecks. And sometimes we have financial problems. And sometimes we have marital issues or child problems, problems with our kids. Sometimes they don't turn out right. What do we do? We know God is at work in those times. So point number one, get this, God is always at work. There's no circumstance, there's no place, there's no time, there's no situation that you can be in where God is not already at work. And then the second thing that I've already kind of let out the bag is, God wants you to come with him and join him in his work. I read through the Gospels over and over again. I'm now in the Gospel of John, and when I finish John, I'll go back to Matthew and read it again. And one of the things that always makes me encouraged is when Jesus saw some of these men washing and cleaning and repairing their fishnets, he said, y'all come with me. Come on, follow me. I want to make you fishers of men. You've been fishing for fish. I want to make you fishers of men. He saw this sinner named Matthew who was a tax collector, and everybody knew tax collectors were dirty, rotten, low-down sinners. But Jesus looked at Matthew and said, I want you to come and follow me. God is inviting you. If you haven't sensed this before today, then please be open to receiving this message. God is calling you to join him in his work. In early my ministry, the first church where I was pastor, there was a sweet lady, little old lady, but she wasn't all that small, but she was, she was a sweet lady, a Christian woman who prayed. She was a widow. She lived with her son and daughter-in-law and their kids. and She used to tell me, Often, she said, you know, I just believe you're going to be the next Billy Graham. That's what she told me. I got to believe in it. 
And every Sunday at our church, we used to sing at the end of the sermon, Just As I Am. And I thought one day we were going to have several hundred, if not thousands, come in to, to receive Christ. In spite of the fact we only had about 40 or 45 people at church, I thought there might be hundreds that would come forward one day because I was the next Billy Graham. It took me a long time to realize I was not the next Billy Graham. But along the way, I kind of got the idea that God was going to hold me responsible for not seeing hundreds and thousands come to Christ through my preaching. I got the idea that I was supposed to preach to large, large crowds, and I was supposed to stand up and just simply preach the gospel, and they would start coming. You know what? God is not going to hold me responsible for what Billy Graham did. He's not going to say, Ron, why didn't you preach in area-wide crusades? Why didn't you preach in those big uh, auditoriums and in those big stadiums all across the world? Well, God, that's not what you call me to do. You call me to preach. That's all I know. And so I've preached at every opportunity you give me, and it's been in local churches. And I've had opportunities at times to preach in other venues, but not, you know, I'm not a crusade evangelist. So listen to this. When God invites you to join him in his work, it may not be being the pastor of a church. It could be. It may not be out in the foreign fields as a missionary. It could be, but it probably won't be for most of you. When God invites you to join him in his work, it's likely to be in your family. It's likely to be in your school. It's likely to be in your job. It's likely to be in your neighborhood. All these places, all these ways, that's where God is inviting you to join him because he's already at work in those places. Now, if you're looking at the notes, follow with me here if you will. We see in verses 35 to 37, there was a need. And Jesus said to his disciples, feed these people. Well, what do you want us to do, Lord? Go buy some bread? I mean, if we had 200 denarii, which the denarii was, as, as you may know, was a day wage for a common laborer. What's a common laborer make these days? I don't know. Let's just say 10 bucks an hour. That, that's probably too low. So if he works eight hours a day, 10 bucks an hour, it's $80 a day. And 200 times 80, how much is that, Chip? That's a lot of money, isn't it? So if we go out and buy this bread with that much money, you get a lot of bread, and, and that may not be enough. So Jesus, is that what you have in mind for us to do? Not really. He said, you feed them. <laughs> they didn't know what to do. He says, okay, what do you have in your hand? What do you have available? What, what are the options that you have here? Well, uh, there's a lad and, and he brought a lunch. Maybe his mother packed him a, a sack of lunch. And so he brought his lunch. And in that lunch, there were five loaves and two fish. What do you want us to do with this? Well, uh, I need some help to explain this point, to illustrate this point a little bit. So uh, anybody out there willing to be a volunteer for me? Uh, Kristen Patrick, would you be a volunteer? <laughs> Thank you so much for doing that. Just come on up here for a minute if you don't mind. Yeah. See, I can call on Kristen because I've known her a long time. I, I knew her before she and David got married. In fact, when they decided to get married, they came to me. Mm -hmm. And so I heard their talk, and I, I gave them the best advice I could give them. They decided to get married anyway. <laughs> and uh, no, 
This is one of the sweetest couples I've ever, I've ever known, really. I'm serious. And they're such sweet parents to their children. Amen for that. Okay, Kristen, here it is. I want to illustrate how God often calls us to join him in his work. Okay. So I believe uh, God wants you to help me in the work that I'm doing. And I want you to give me $100. You don't. You don't uh, did you bring your Bible? In your seat. Uh, Chip, give her, give her a Bible. Okay. Now, if God has already prepared his disciples to feed the sheep, uh, the people, the 5,000 men, plus women and children, and I believe God wants you to give me $100, what are you going to do? You think it's in the Bible? What is that? A hundred dollars. Look at that. Give her a hand. Amen. She did it. Now, you know that I set this up, right? You understand that? Thank you, Kristen. And uh, I actually was going to call on Chip's wife, but she's not here today. She's not well. And, and I said, would you put this hundred dollar bill in this Bible? And... Uh, so instead of, of one Christian, we got another Christian. And, uh, and she was willing to look in her Bible because I had planted it in her Bible. Now here's the point. When God asked you to do something in his kingdom, he has already provided every resource you need to do that work. It's almost like God's taken some money and put it in your Bible. I've experienced that many times in my life. I don't have time to tell you the stories, but let's say every point in our life, my wife and I, where we faced a financial difficulty, let's say, God has provided the funds for us to be able to do whatever it was he called us to do. He's not promising to make you rich. You didn't enter ministry to get rich, did you? Good. That would have been a great disappointment. But God has supplied your needs. And the same for me. I mean, God supplies everything we need in order for us to do everything we should. God doesn't say, go out and do everything you can. He says, go out and do everything you should do, what I've told you to do, what I've called you to do. That's what God wants us to do. And so when God invites you to join him in his work, it's like that verse we saw a moment ago in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30, where Jesus said, come unto me, those of you who labor, who are worried, uh, who are, who are w- wondered what's going to happen, those who are burdened with cares, I will give you rest. Rest from fear, rest from worry, rest from needs unmet. And you know, I, I think about this. If God uh, doesn't give me what I think I need, then I probably don't need it. And sometimes God doesn't give me what I need when I think I should get it. Sometimes he delivers it late. Sometimes he delivers it early. I remember several years ago, there was a couple in Mount Pleasant First Baptist who came to me and said, Pastor, we've come into some money that we normally don't have. And God's put it on our hearts to, to use some of this money to help somebody. We don't know anybody. We, would you take this money and would you give it to somebody who needs it? And I was thinking, well, maybe I do need that money. No, no, I didn't think that way at all. I said, I sure will. I said, I don't know anybody right now. But you know, within a few days, God brought into my study, into my mind, into my uh, knowledge, a young man who really needed some money. 
And the money they gave me was just about what he needed. So God sometimes gives you resources early. Sometimes he gives it to you later than you think. Sometimes he doesn't give it to you at all. And and you just have to think, well, if that's not what God supplies, then that's not what God wants me to do. And sometimes you just have to call off. We were in the process years ago of trying to build the building out at Life Park. We were involved with some architects and some planners and some really smart people that knew how to do all those kinds of things. And uh, we had in mind sort of an idea of how much money we were able to spend on the building out at Life Park. We did it backwards. We built the building before we built the church. And the day came, we said, okay, if we can't get more money than this, then we're going to have to cut the building off at this point. Uh, We're going to have to make it this much smaller because we don't have the resources to go that far. And we don't believe God wants us to go into an overwhelming amount of debt. We're not against debt. We just want to be safe in terms of not indebting ourselves more than we should. It was that very week I got a letter came across my desk from First Federal Savings and Loan of Charleston. That's back when we had one of those. And they said, hey, we want to buy four acres of your land. Four acres. We had 20-some acres, 30-some, I forget now how much we had. And that was a part of the land we weren't planning to build on, and some of it was wetlands. You couldn't build on it anyway. They were offering to give us almost $3 million for that land. We didn't have any idea, and so we took it to our elders. We took it to our church. We didn't have elders in either. We took it to some men that were praying men that I'd begun to gather with, and we believed that was of God. Here was God providing the resources to be able to build the facility we believed God wanted us to build, We didn't have the resources. We prayed. God answered even before we prayed. We didn't know what to do, so God said, here it is. Listen, God's calling you to be with him in his work, and if you think, well, I can't afford to go to seminary, if you're thinking to yourself, well, I can't afford to give up my job because that's where I get my living from, and that's how I support my family, but, but God's really calling me to this. If God's calling you, God will supply you with everything you need. The question is, will you follow Will you obey? Will you do what it is that God's calling you to do? One more thing. This is very timely. It is the Father's will for everyone to be saved. I know you believe this. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-4, to 4, here's what he says. Here's what Paul says to young Timothy. First of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings, and all those who are in authority, so that... We may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Prayer. All these prayers. Verse 3. This is good. And it pleased God our Savior. Verse 4. Who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know, God is much more concerned about eternity than he is about earth. He's not saying it's not important how we live our lives on earth. He's not saying it's not important what people think or what they do. But he's saying there's something far more important than making sure you have good clothes and a nice house and a nice car to drive and some money in the bank. What is that? That you know your Savior. And I see moms and dads who are more concerned about their kids making a sports team than they are about their kids getting saved and getting in the church. I've seen parents who are so concerned about their kids' social status 
that they, they didn't care about bringing them to a Sunday school or to a youth group or to a worship time. They, they weren't concerned about teaching them the Bible and teaching them about God's love and leading them to know Christ. They were more concerned that their kids get along with their friends in school and that they be accepted in the right groups or accepted in the right college. What's more important to you, the salvation of lost souls? Or where are you going to go on vacation in July? You've got to ask yourself those questions. God's concern is that all would come to Him. Now, we know that all people aren't going to be saved. That all people are not going to receive Christ. But don't let it be because we don't tell them the message. Because we don't share our hope as to why we believe that when we die, we're going to be with Jesus. That really it doesn't matter whether I get the raise or not get the raise. What really matters is that I'm pleasing to God in how I live. God's calling me to do His work. And His work ultimately is that people hear the gospel. That's why He said in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Go into all the world. Make disciples of some of the nations. Somebody said, did He? How many nations? All the nations. And so God is at work. He's calling us to join Him in His work. And He asks you a big question. And the question is this, what do you have in your hand? What do you have in your hand? I love it when the Bible says, we have some things in common that God gives to every one of us. Let me give you three things God gives to everyone. This is not in your notes, but you need to write this down. Three things God gives to every one of us. He gives all of us abilities and resources and opportunities. Abilities, resources, and opportunities. We say, I don't know that I have any opportunity. Nobody's ever asked me to preach. People don't come up to me and say, can you tell me how to be saved? That that doesn't happen, does it? That happens uh, once in a while to a preacher. A young woman came to me after church service one time when I was at Highland Park Church back in the late 80s. And it was after the service She hadn't responded to our public invitation to receive Christ. But she said, Pastor, would you please help me to know what it means to be saved? But that was at church. I just preached a message. I just invited people to come to Christ. So I explained to her the gospel. And on the bench, the pew, she sat down with me and she prayed and asked Christ to come into her heart. Well, fast forward that. It's now 2018. And I've just retired at First Baptist a month earlier. And I asked to be the interim pastor of Highland Park, where I was pastor back in the 80s and early 90s. And so I go and I start preaching and leading the church as an interim pastor. And this young woman came up to me and she said, do you remember me? And I said, no, I'm sorry, I don't. I don't know who you are. She said, well, one Sunday, you sat right there in that pew and you led me to Christ. And I want you to know that I'm still following Jesus. Now, that may happen to you. That may happen to you. But you might have to create an an instance, a circumstance, where you can share the gospel. Up in West Virginia, when I was pastor there for several years, I conducted a wedding to this couple who were not churched, and I always used that as an opportunity to share the gospel with them. And I met the bride's brother at the rehearsal. And he wasn't, he wasn't in church. He was lost as a goose. 
and his wife was too. And he came up to me, you know, he didn't know anything about being in a church building. He, I don't know if he'd ever been in a church building before. And ours wasn't overly decorated or special or fancy or anything. And he said, uh, preacher, I said, what do you think about these people that say they can tell the future? And he named a couple of these mediums, you know, they supposedly can tell you fortunes and all this stuff. I said, I tell you what, I just got inspired all of a sudden. I said, I can take the Bible and I held up my house. I can take this book and I can tell you your future. In fact, I can show it to you and you can read it in this book. His eyes got this. You can? I said, oh, yeah, I can. I said, let's set up a time. I'll come to your house and I'll show you what this Bible says about your future. Well, I went to their home a few nights later and I opened the scripture. We chatted a little bit and I explained to him, you know, uh, that I was a pastor, had been for a while and planned to help people know God and so I simply showed them that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And I said, your future is either heaven or hell. And you have to choose which one you want. Well, after a conversation sharing scriptures, they both came to the Lord, Bobby and Susie. And they started coming to our church, and I got to baptize them. And they were a little rough. They didn't know about the scriptures. They didn't know about Joshua and the battle of Jericho. And they didn't know the story about the Moses and the children of Israel coming across the Red Sea. They didn't know all that stuff. And so we got to put an imprint on their hearts. And they went through some rough times. And so we were able to help them and, and work with them to go through some of the difficulties. But the last time I heard from Bobby, he was a pastor. And serving faithfully in the church. And his son, Bobby Jr., was feeling a call into the ministry. And this had been some time ago. I don't know where they are today. But you see, sometimes you just have to be smart and, and open up opportunities for people to hear the gospel message. God is calling you, and you say, what's in your hand? Well, do you have a job? And some of you work outside the home. Maybe you work inside the home in terms of your uh, secular employment. Some of you have kids, and that's a, an opportunity. If you're not seeking to lead your kids to Christ, you're missing. You're missing something really big. Uh, do you go to school, some of your students? What about your classmates? Do they know Jesus? Could you find some way to say, look, you know, one of the most exciting things that ever happened to me was when I got saved. Can I tell you about that? Well, you don't even have to start that way. Maybe they're sort of suspicious about religious things. You know, I had this thing that happened to me, and it was the most exciting, life-changing thing that ever happened to me. Anything like that ever happened to you? What do you mean? Well, let me tell you about it. And just tell them you got saved. And how Christ turned your life around. And then you say to them, has anything like that ever happened to you? I remember a man one time, that I didn't know if he was a Christian. And I thought to myself, somehow I want to share with this man the gospel. So I just went up to him and I said, you know, uh, has anybody ever explained to you how a person really becomes a Christian? He looked at me and said, well, I don't, I don't guess anybody ever has. And I said, would you, would you mind if I just told you about it? We were having a study course in the church, and, and we were training people how to share the gospel. And one of the ways we taught people to do is that's still valid. I said, uh, here's one of the things you can do. Uh, go to a neighbor, somebody that you already know, a coworker, a friend, and say, look, a pastor at our church is teaching us how to share our faith. And one of our assignments is to practice would you mind if I practiced on you? I just need to practice this presentation. Can I practice it on you? 
And there you go. Joining God in his work isn't as hard as you think it may be. And some may be called to preach, and some may be called to mission, but all are called to share the gospel. Wherever you can. Different opportunities, different ways that you can. My father and I got to go together on a mission trip to Brazil. And uh, we were excited. Uh, my dad's been a faithful, well, he's, he's at the Lord now, but he'd been a faithful Christian since he was a young man. And it uh, wasn't perfect, but, but he really tried to please God. And so here we were in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. We had a couple hours available before we had our first team meeting, got our assignments, what we were going to be doing. And so we took a cab and decided just to see some of the city. Now, I didn't know much Portuguese. I don't know much anymore either. What little I knew was going out the window. But we were riding in this cab, and I thought, well, maybe I can share with this cab driver because, you know, he's probably learned enough English over the years to where he can understand American tourists. And I said to the cab driver, I said, do you know Jesus? He said, what? I said, do you know Jesus? He said, oh, yeah, he's up on Corcovado. You know, it's down in Rio, they have this huge statue of Jesus up on Mount Corcovado. And that's as far as I got. But anyway, I was trying. <laughs> I was trying. <laughs> what is God calling you to do? What is God calling you to do? Look at Romans 12, 1 and 2 with me. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present. Circle that word present if you got your Bible. Present. Your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed. Circle that word, transformed. By the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern, or in the old King James, it's prove, but circle that word discern, or whatever your Bible has, that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Here is as close as I think we have in the entire scripture of a formula a formula of how God works. Here's the formula. Presentation plus transformation equals revelation. When I present myself to God totally, fully, even my body, say, God, I'm yours. And then I'm in the process, a constant process of my mind being transformed by the Word of God. Presenting myself in the Word, God is responsible to reveal what He wants me to do. God will reveal. I don't have to go hunting for the will of God. God reveals it. It's kind of like this. A father brings his kids in one day, and he has three children. They're adolescents. And he says, okay, kids, here's what we're going to do. I have this project that I want you to do. And you can do it. And if you do it well... I'm going to reward you, and you'll be really glad you did it. But if you don't do it at all, or don't do it well, I'm going to punish you. You got it? They say, oh, yeah, but Dad, what is it? I'm not going to tell you what it is. You just have to go out and find whatever it is for yourself. But if you do it, I'll reward you. If you don't do it, I'll punish you. Is that fair? That's the way some people treat God. I've heard people, oh, I'm trying to find the will of God. And I thought, well, is it lost? <laughs> God's will get lost somewhere and you're trying to find it? No, no. God reveals his will. 
to those who are in the process of, of continually putting themselves before him. Now, see, that's worship. That's what worship is all about. Worship, the basic root behind the word worship is to bow down before. We bow down before the Lord. We surrender ourselves and we are seeking in his word what he's saying to us. We are being transformed in our minds by the word of God. And God reveals his will. I was a high school student in the senior year trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. I knew I wanted to go to college. I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And I think about doing one thing, and that didn't seem right after a few days or a few weeks. And I'd try something else in my thinking. And, and I was a Christian. I prayed about it. And one day, I was in a worship service on a Sunday morning at my home church, and it just dawned on me. I don't know how it happened. It just, you're supposed to be a preacher. <laughs> I never thought about that. And so when the preacher gave the invitation for people to come forward to get saved or whatever they needed to do, I mean, you know, we used to do this thing called rededicating your life. You ever rededicate your life? During that time, I rededicated my life so many times, I think I wore out my rededicator. I mean, it was well used. But when God revealed to me, you're going to be, I want you to preach. That's all he told me. Didn't want me to be a pastor, didn't want me to be a prophet, just, just be a preacher. And I gladly got up and went down and said, Pastor, Preacher Jesse is what we called him. God's calling me to preach. And in a minute he announced it to the church. And you know, several of my friends and my parents came up to me and said, you know, we knew all along God was calling you to be a preacher. Oh, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> you don't have to search and hunt and, and get desperate about God's will. God will reveal it. God will reveal it. He'll show you what he wants you to do. Then one last thing I want to share with you in your notes. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, and 18. One and the same Spirit is active in all these spiritual gifts and all these distributing to each person as he wills. Verse 18, but as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts of the body in the body just as he wanted. God has given every Christian special abilities to do his work. Your ability may be great taking care of little kids. You never have enough of that in the church. You're always seeking more people to work in the nursery. But some people are just gifted at it. Some people are just gifted at helping other people whether it's in the church facilities itself or maybe in the neighborhood. They're just, they just have the gift of helps. I mean, you read through the list of the spiritual gifts and, and you think about, wow, these are wonderful gifts. Which ones are mine? Which ones do you want? God will reveal it to you if that's what you want. Now I want to close with this scriptural lesson. You know the story of Moses. The first 40 years of his life, he was somebody. The next 40 years of his life, he was nobody. The last 40 years of his life, he was God's body. And God came to him and said, Moses, while he was in the wilderness, he gave him this vision, this picture of the burning bush that wasn't consumed. And he said, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to go there and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And you see, the last thing Moses knew about Egypt was there was a price on his head. And if there was a post office in Egypt, Moses' picture was on the wall, most wanted. And he didn't want to go back there. He didn't want to go back into that mess where his life was on the line. And so God, as you know, in the first few chapters of the book of Exodus, begins to deal with Moses. And at some point, God looks to Moses and goes, Moses, what is that in your hand? You know what it was? 
It was a staff, a shepherd's staff, a wooden shepherd's staff. Or you could just call it a stick. It was a wooden instrument because he had been a shepherd for 40 years in the desert. And God said, Moses, throw that staff down. Throw it down on the ground. So he did, and it became a snake. And Moses did what you and I would do. He jumped back a little bit. He wanted to get out of the way of that snake. And then God said this, Moses, I want you to reach down and take that snake by the tail. Now, let me give you the interpretation of that. Moses is thinking all along, God, you must not be from around here because we don't pick up snakes by the tail. (laughs) Not around here. But Moses did what God said, pick the snake up, and you know what, that that rod, that snake became a rod, a, a staff in his hand. There may be some things that you have in your hand that has a snake in it. And before you can get rid of that snake, you have to throw it down. In essence, saying, okay, God, it's yours. It's yours. And I'll do whatever you want me to do. And when God said, pick it up by the tail, it became the rod of God, the staff of God in his hand. It's no longer Moses' rod. A friend of mine in West Virginia named Buddy Hall was the chairman of the pulpit committee that led me from the seminary up to that church, Parkersburg, West Virginia. And uh, he was an up-and-coming management person with DuPont. Had a big DuPont plant there. And uh, Buddy related this to me later. He said, uh, I went to this men's retreat over the weekend. I came back home, and I was so spiritually on a high. And I said, God, I'll do anything you want me to do. And so God began to speak to him that evening. I think it was a Sunday evening. He said, Buddy, I want your job. Now, Buddy made good money in those days, and he went on to make a lot more money and retired in pretty good shape from that company years later. But as he wrestled with that over the nighttime, give up my job. I have three kids here at home, and I want to educate them, of course, but I can't do it if I just take a meager salary. Throughout the evening, throughout the night, he wrestled. But finally, by daybreak on Monday, Buddy said, Okay, God, it's yours. I'll go in today and resign. I'll tell him that you're calling me, and I don't know what you want me to do, but I'm willing to do it. I'm, I'm just going to lay my job right before you. But he said, on his way to work that morning, God really spoke in a way he had never heard him speak before. He said, Buddy, I don't really want your job. I want you. And so that was no longer Buddy Hall's job at DuPont. It was God's job. And he had Buddy Hall in that job. And he went on to be a plant manager and went overseas with the company and continued to raise his family. And and just God used him every place he went because he was not in his job. He was in God's job. So I ask you today, what's in your hand? What represents your life? Is it your money? Is it your job? Is it your family? Is it your possessions? What is it? I want you to bow with me for a minute, if you will. I want to ask you to think about doing a little exercise that uh, has been helpful to me and, and to others along the way. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm not going to ask you to do anything funny or out of the way. 
just if you will, put your hands in front of you as you're seated. Just put your hands in front of you. Put them together. And here in your two hands, just think about all the things that you have that are yours. It may not be much, but maybe it's a lot. Maybe you, as a student, as a kid, you have a bicycle. Maybe you have a game console. As an adult, maybe you do have a career, and it's just beginning to take off. Maybe you have a house, and you're just about to get it paid for. Maybe you have kids growing, and, and they're just sometimes struggling, and you're frustrated with it. Are you willing to put all these things in your hand and say, God, I give them up to you? I no longer claim them as mine. They're yours, and I'm, I'm just simply the steward. I'm the shepherd, the manager, and, and I'm just doing it the way you want me to do it. And I'll forever just continue to put my hands up to you and say, Lord, here it is. My hands are open. I don't want to hold it and grab onto it. I just want to make it available to you to take what you want, to give me what you want. My hands are open, Lord, before you. Can you pray that way today? Can you pray, Heavenly Father, I I give you my hand, what's in my hand. And help me never to take it back. And if I do, Lord, remind me that it's yours. Take it, use it whatever way you will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the King's Cross Church podcast. We hope that you were encouraged by the word of God today. Take a moment to click the subscribe button on your screen and you won't have to come searching for us next time. Until then, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.